It's TechBinder Worldwide for the week of February 17th, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Now, if you are a graphics or design professional, you probably use Adobe Photoshop when you need to modify photographic images. And in that case, this next segment won't be of much interest to you. But those who don't have the budget to buy the full version of Photoshop often buy Photoshop Elements. And there are some good reasons for choosing Corel's PaintShop Pro Photo X2 instead. What's with the name, though? It keeps getting longer and longer. It used to be PaintShop Pro, developed in Minnesota by JASC. I always considered it to be the best bargain in digital photo editors. Then Corel acquired it. The name got longer. became Corel Paint Shop Pro. Corel Paint Shop Pro Photo. And finally, Corel Paint Shop Pro Photo X2. It's getting harder to put the name on the box. The X2 version has been out for a little while. I've been a little slow to review it, but I can't blame that on the name. It seems to me that digital image editors can take one of two approaches. One is to create a complex set of tools that give the user extremely fine-grained control. That's the approach chosen by Adobe for Photoshop. The menus are deep, the controls are complex. But if you're a professional who needs precision control, that's the way to go, no question about it. Photoshop Elements and PaintShop Pro X2 take another approach, one that doesn't offer quite the same precision and control but they still allow a user to improve an image with just a few clicks. True, you don't have that precision that Photoshop gives you, but you don't also have to spend a year learning the intricacies of the program. And there's something to be said for that. So this isn't a head-to-head review with the Adobe products. That would be unfair to both. It is simply a description of how PaintShop Pro works and an explanation of why it might be the best choice for you. And I'm going to just call it PaintShop Pro, not PaintShop Pro Photo X2. PaintShop Pro includes features that rival those found in some of the more expensive programs, but the interface makes the program relatively easy to learn and use, yet still doesn't insult your intelligence. PaintShop Pro offers layers, and layers are a feature that everybody who needs to modify digital images should take the time to learn. In addition to the standard tools, there are some that could be classified as silly but fun, and the support for digital RAW formats is a bit limited. For example, I own a Nikon that PaintShop Pro supports, but the RAW format for images from a Fuji camera that I use for some projects isn't yet supported. PaintShop Pro combines photo editing, retouching, painting, drawing, and image management into one package and Corel's Learning Center and training videos make learning how to use most of the program relatively painless. When you open the program, you'll see along the left-hand side, the Learning Center, an option to get photos that allows you to retrieve photos from the camera or to tell PaintShop Pro where images already exist on your hard drive. There's an option to adjust the photos to retouch and restore them, to make a collage, to add text and graphics, to add effects, and then to print and share. It's a very 
easy interface. Going back a lot of years, I have always liked and respected PaintShop. The acquisition by Corel has actually helped the application grow well beyond its shareware roots. For example, some of the new features in X2 include Express Lab, that is quick fixes for common problems, HDR Photo Merge. This allows combining bracketed shots to create an image in which bright and dark areas both retain detail. Layer styles for shadows, reflections, inner and outer glows, bevels, embossing effects, those kinds of things. And makeover tools so you can make people look maybe a little thinner or, if you want, a little thicker. Fix bloodshot eyes, remove blemishes, things like that. PaintShop Pro has a new color scheme called the Graphite Workspace. It provides a more neutral setting when you're working on the images. The background of the program is all just a nice, quiet gray, so it doesn't get in the way and distract you from the photos. If you're concerned about someone stealing your images, PaintShop Pro can apply a visible watermark. By default, PaintShop Pro preserves original images, so you can always go back to the original. That's a great feature. It solves a problem that's been the bane of digital editing from day one, because so many people... Start working on an image and then save it on top of the original, which wipes out the original. And if you ever want to go back to the original after having done that, sorry, you can't. By way of a real-life example, you can take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. I've been taking pictures at a construction site, and at construction sites, conditions are at best challenging. Accurate or at least believable color depends on the color of the light, and construction sites almost always have mixed color light sources. In this case, for example, we've got windows. That's a high-temperature blue. Incandescent lights are on, low-temperature red. Making the situation worse, there are fluorescent lights throughout the building. They're heavy in green, or perhaps more accurately, uh, very limited in red component. So no matter what I do, the resulting images from that site aren't going to be great. In PaintShop Pro, I started with an image from a Nikon in RAW format, opening it in the Express Lab. That's about the equivalent of opening the file in Image Raw in Photoshop. So I started with an image that shows some workers standing in the background, but they're largely lost in the shadows. The image has an overall green cast from those fluorescent lights, and the windows add a cloudy winter afternoon blue to the overall image. Uh, not a very winning image as it starts out. Well, the first thing I tried was the automatic image repair. Just about every image editor these days has some sort of automated function. Kind of a take your best guess and see what you can do to make this image better. Well, the automatic image repair made the image better, but I felt that it could be made a lot better. I made some manual adjustments. PaintShop Pro doesn't offer you as many adjustments as Photoshop does, but it probably offers enough. You can adjust the color balance, you can adjust the overall lightness or darkness, and you can adjust the gamma, the difference between the light and dark areas. As I made the adjustments, I was able to make the workers in the background more visible. It made the overall image a little softer, a little less contrasty but it was a better image overall. While I had that image open, I decided to take a look at some of the time machine effects. These are kind of interesting. They apply a different kind of color balance to approximate photographs from eras starting at about the mid-1800s, the early days of photography, up through the 1960s. 
I created a daguerreotype effect that was really pretty much looking like a daguerreotype. If you apply time machine filters that create an early color look, you'll see the colors are surprisingly accurate, but rather desaturated. That's the way color looked in those days. And in the 1960s, vibrant colors, bright, not very lifelike, though. Thinking that I could still make some improvements on the overall color balance, I took a look at some of the film and filters colors and applied a sunset filter. It's an orangish filter to the image. The construction site I was working on has a lot of wood, and adding that orange filter brought a lot of the wood tones back into line, right where they should have been. The result, colors that are acceptable, workers now visible, pretty good solution. I felt the colors were a little too saturated, though, a little too vibrant for my taste, so I backed that off a little bit. And I decided to add an adjustment layer. Remember I mentioned layers are really important? If you use adjustment layers, you can make changes without modifying the actual pixels in the image. You change only the adjustment layer. And later you can make the adjustment layer more or less transparent, or you can discard it if you want. The original image is always there. So Corel Paint Shop Pro Photo X2, eh, not exactly Photoshop, but you may not need Photoshop. It could be just exactly what you do need if you don't have the budget, either in money or time, to buy and learn a complicated application such as Photoshop. PaintShop Pro makes it possible to fix the most common problems that you're going to encounter with digital images, and also to apply some of those features that are amusing. PaintShop Pro, four cats on the TechBiter Worldwide website. TechBiter.com is a domain name. It's registered to me. Registered. I don't own it, but I do lease the name and I pay an annual fee. Should I forget to renew that, I would not be happy with what would happen next. Within hours, somebody else would register the name and probably within a day, visitors to TechBiter.com would be served nothing but ads. This is known as drop catching and domain tasting. The Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, ICANN, is the acronym for it, although perhaps a more apt acronym would be ICANT, all but encourages the practice and other abuses known as domain kiting and typo squatting. If you've registered a domain name and you want to keep it, you need to actively protect it. Domain tasting works because ICANN designed a system that assumes everyone is honest. Bad assumption. Registrars can check out, almost like a library, domain names for a brief period at no cost. Now, had someone wanted to custom write a system that would guarantee abuse, that is exactly the way they would write it. A registrar can load ads on domain names that they're tasting, and they can then make money on pay-per-click ads. If the domain name turns out to be a moneymaker, the registrar pays ICANN for it. If not, eh, they release the domain name. Last year, the Coalition Against Domain Name Abuse tracked expiring domains for a single day, September 18th. Starting on that day, the organization tracked 17,000 randomly selected org, com, and net domain names. The study noted that 100% of the com and net domains were immediately re-registered. More than 40% of the com and net domain names were dropped and added again during the course of their study. That's known as kiting. It's another example of ICANN's short-sightedness. Domain names can be repeatedly tested 
and returned with no monetary penalty. Nearly 90% of the com domains studied became pay-per-click sites. The study cited the primary abusers as Enom, a Bellevue, Washington registrar, and Domain Dorman, Capital Domains, and Belgium Domains, all, interestingly, of the same address in Miami, Florida. If you do a Google search for any of those four names, you'll find them listed in such places as the Ripoff Report. All except Domain Dorman, that is. But a Google search on the words Domain Dorman and Fraud turns up more than 200 entries. Cadna has called on ICANN to make some changes in the way it does business. It suggests, for example, a restocking fee that is more than half of the domain registration fee. This would be an immediate deterrent to the negative aspects of domain tasting. It would penalize those who register thousands of domains at a time, yet it would have minimal impact on people who make an honest mistake. Cadna also recommends an excess deletion fee be charged when a registrar is clearly gaming the system. What is most puzzling here is that ICANN clearly understands the problem, and the problem isn't new. So the question has to be why nothing has been done to remedy the situation and why it takes pressure from an outside group to get any action. I mentioned last week that the BAT version 4 had arrived. The BAT has been my favorite email application for years. I'd tell you how many years, but I really don't remember. It's been that long. I can tell you that I used Pine in the early days and then Elm, or maybe it was the other way around. After that, it was Eudora until I discovered the bat. This is not the right email program for everybody, but it has been the right one for me for a long time because it's quick, it's adaptable, and it's secure. I do have to use Outlook at the office, but I wouldn't consider anything but the bat at home. That's why I was just a little bit nervous when RIT Labs in Moldova released version 4 of the application. I was concerned that the improvements would actually be detrimental to the program. I was worried that the new version would abandon the application's geek-friendly past and try to hug Outlook users. Well, that hasn't been the case. The developers have reached out to those who create HTML-coded email and have made it possible to actually view HTML-coded email finally in the bat. Now, purist email fanatics will say that HTML has no place in email. Okay, on an emotional level, I kind of agree with that. But HTML is a part of email, and it has been for years. The most popular email programs send HTML-coded email by default. This may be a bad thing, or a good thing, But HTML mail is a reality. Individuals send HTML-coded mail because they like it. So do companies. You might want to put your logo in the message. So what we need is an email client that can deal with HTML mail without opening a gigantic security hole. The bat appears to be that email client. While with most email programs, you have a choice of displaying images or not displaying images. Do not display is secure. Display is not secure. It seems that email programs should provide a little finer granularity, and that is exactly what the BAT now does. You get to choose which domains will be allowed to display images in your email on a domain-by-domain basis. You can allow images from the Washington Post, for example, but forbid them from double-click. And in fact, this has been one of the reasons why I have avoided recommending the BAT to some people. 
because they want to see HTML messages. In the past, to view an HTML message with the graphics, you'd have to launch a web browser such as Firefox. Well, now you're able to view those HTML-coded messages right in the bat. And guess what? Upgrading from version 3 to version 4.0 is free. You may notice that I specified version 4.0. That's because the upgrade from 4.0 to 4.1 isn't going to be free. And I think that is a very clever way to let your user base move from one major version to the next. Make the basic upgrade free, then charge for subsequent updates, assuming the people like what they see. So that was just kind of a first look at the bat. I've only been using it for a week now. I'll have a full review in a few weeks. In nerdly news, looks like the end of the road for HD DVD. There are two high-definition formats for DVDs, HD, DVD, and Blu-ray. And I think maybe that is now past tense. Blu-ray has won the battle. Walmart has announced that it will drop HD DVD gear in favor of Blu-ray. End of story. Walmart is the nation's largest retailer. Its 4,000 U.S. stores will drop the HD DVD players and discs. Earlier this week, Netflix said it will begin carrying only Blu-ray discs in the high-definition format. Toshiba and Sony have been engaged in a high-stakes battle, and it looks like Sony has won this one, unlike in the old days when it was beta and VHS. Target and Blockbuster have also picked Blu-ray. Walmart will phase out HD DVD discs and players by June. Stores will continue to sell standard-definition movies and players. Sony's Blu-ray format is also backed by Disney, Sony Pictures, Natch, 20th Century Fox, MGM, and Warner Brothers. So who's left in the HD DVD camp? Uh, Toshiba, Paramount Pictures, and the subsidiary DreamWorks, and Universal Pictures. Spotted a really good report this week in the San Jose Mercury News. Very worthwhile report on cyber crooks. They are out there, and they are looking for the information that's on your computer. Quoting the report from the Mercury News, Somewhere in St. Petersburg, Russia's second city, a tiny startup has struck Internet gold. Its dozen-odd employees are barely old enough to recall the demise of the Soviet Union, but industry analysts believe they are raking in well over $100 million a year from the world's largest banks, including Wells Fargo and Washington Mutual. If that frightens you, it should. This is mainly a story of phishing and how sophisticated the attempts have become over the past few years. In the past, the attempts tended to be amateurish. They were filled with spelling and grammar errors. Today, they are far more clever and able to fool more than just the casual observer. Again, quoting the Mercury News, these attacks cost real people real money. Individual Americans lost at least $200 million last year to online fraud. And that's just the people who took the time to report their misfortunes to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center. Those 200,000 cyber fraud victims said they were swindled out of an average of $724. That's an amount small enough to discourage individual reporting and to help keep rockfish relatively hidden. Besides information lost to phishing, there is the danger of visiting or being lured to a website that can infect your computer if you're not running the latest security applications. Once again, quoting the San Jose Mercury News, some people are lured to visiting web pages containing malware either by inadvertently visiting infected sites or by clicking on an emailed link. 
There, the website stealthily installs code onto computers of visitors lacking the latest web browser security updates. Most users have no idea such a drive-by download has taken place, even as these Trojan horses surreptitiously log their banking passwords or other private information. For the rest of the story, you'll need to visit the Mercury News website. And, of course, there is a link to that website from the TechBiter Worldwide website. That's it. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of February 17th, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Don't forget, check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and you can send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.